Now, let me invite you to open up your copy of God's words, of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 will be in verses 1 through 10 this morning. One of my seminary professors, Derek Thomas, said something one day that, that shocked me and that I've always remembered since, and he said this, ministry is always preparing people to die well. Ministry is always preparing people to die well. Because we all will die or Christ will come back. And that's, that's what we look forward to because it's going to happen to all of us. The question is, how do we respond to that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you remind us that you are dealing with us in this moment? Would you remind us that the spiritual is most real? That you are not a God who has merely created and has stood back, but rather you, you invade our space. And you're speaking to each and to every individual in this room and even to us as a church. And you're pointing us to your word. This is what you would have us hear this morning. May we find hope that we've never realized was there. May we find endurance that we didn't think we could receive. May we find grace that we thought was too good to be true. Holy Spirit, would you do that as we see Jesus Christ in this text? We ask all this in his great and glorious name. Amen. All people must die. But what will happen when you die? Palmer Luckey is the father of modern virtual reality. 
and the founder of uh, what's called the Oculus. Some of you know what that is. Is that little VR, one of the VR headsets that is very popular today. And Palmer Lucky knows how reluctant we are to think about death today. But in a very twisted and wicked way to try to have people think about death, he developed a virtual reality headset that would kill the user if they died in the video game that they were playing. In a blog post in November of last year, Lucky said this, the idea of tying your real life to your virtual avatar has always fascinated me. You instantly raise the stakes to the maximum level and force people to fundamentally rethink how they interact with the virtual world and the players inside it. Pumped up graphics might make a game look more real, but only the threat of serious consequences can make a game feel real to you and to every other person in the game. To be very clear, this is incredibly unethical. To be very clear that this should be condemned. Why do we need to raise the stakes in a video game to be reminded of death that is the most common thing for all humanity? You and I, if Christ does not come back, you and I will die. It's going to happen. But we don't like to think about death today. We don't like to trust that the fact that Jesus talks about heaven and hell the most out of anyone uh, per capita in scripture. We don't like to remember that death is real and it is coming for all of us. We don't like to even think about how we're already experiencing death in part physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. It is really amazing how, how often you and I try to ignore it because we want this life to be everything. But we're going to die. Here's the sad part about me saying this. I might already be labeled right now as some sort of fire and brimstone preacher. Isn't that really sad how more ready we are to ignore the question about what happens to us when we die and whenever someone talks about death they say well you're just too extreme when it's the most normal thing that happens to us because of sin you and I are going to die but what happens to you when you die ignoring death and the two destinations that there can be for us after death, that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. They didn't want to think about that. You can see it in 1 Corinthians, you can see it in 2 Corinthians. Paul is having to come back to this again. It's actually helpful for us to remember what did it mean to be a Corinthian. Well, for them, the type of thinking they had, the type of lifestyle they had, they were just people who, they lived for the current moment. They would indulge every fleshly desire that they had. They would constantly be wanting to build their own personal brand. They were wanting people to be impressed with the outwardly or the external. 
And they were always wanting to give allegiance to whatever religious or political power was most popular at that time. Now, what does it mean to be a postmodern America, American? Well, the same thing, just repackaged. Isn't this what we do? You see, things don't really change. There is nothing new under the sun. It's the same thing at its core, just repackaged and more modern. And what God is telling you and me to deal with at this moment is the fact that death is real. We're obsessed with this world today. And we're obsessed with making, trying to make some sort of utopia that can happen now in this life. But it's not going to happen. This world is under a curse. So we must think about death and what will happen to us. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And actually, when you get this... This might forever change your life. Not just change your outlook on what happens when you die. It will change the way you live now if you get this. Because this is what God's word has always done to his people throughout time. So what happens? What happens to you when you die? Here's what does not happen the moment you die. When you die, what does not happen is that your soul somehow remains with your body in the grave or can wander about this earth influencing people in this life. That is not what happens. What does not happen when you die is that whenever your body and soul separates at death, that your soul then goes to occupy maybe a tree or an animal or another person or an angel. That is not what happens. What does not happen at death is what some people say, annihilation, meaning that you just utterly cease to exist. That's also not what happens. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, they shall awake, and some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Notice the words everlasting there for heaven and for hell. Jesus himself said that even hell in Matthew 25, 46 is a place of eternal punishment. What does not happen when we die is that there's some sort of uh, unconscious soul sleep. That when we die that our soul goes to sleep just waiting for the great resurrection day when then body and soul will be reunited again. That's, that's not what happens. Immediately we go from one state of consciousness to another. What also does not happen when we die is not purgatory. You can see very clearly in verse 10 where it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. In other words, that there's no more judgment after you die and body and soul separate. There's no more need for purgatory. Either Christ is sufficient or he's not. Either God's judgment happened on the cross or it didn't for you. There is no purgatory. It is either heaven or hell. That's what does not happen when we die is none of those things I mentioned earlier. 
And we need to remember that everyone will die. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9.27 says for all men, it's for all men that they will die. There's only been two people in all of world history that have not died. And for God's grace, for whatever reason, he allowed Enoch and Elijah just to immediately pass through into heaven. Everyone else will die. I cannot say that enough. You're going to die. Don't let Netflix and YouTube and social media numb you to that. Because isn't that why we run to those things? Because we don't want to think about that. What happens at death, you see in verse 1, and you see this also in verses 6 and 8, you see that body and soul separate. That's what happens the moment we die. Paul calls our current bodies, these earthly bodies, a tent, meaning that it's temporary, meaning it's fading. The building, the sure building that will last for eternity, that's yet to come. But this body is a tent. It's it's not going to make it. And at death, what happens is the body and soul separate. The body goes into the ground, and the soul consciously, immediately, goes into heaven or hell. Verse 10, as I mentioned earlier, makes very clear that the moment that death happens and body and soul separate, there is no more opportunity to respond. That is hard to think about. I've had teammates die, I've had friends die, I've had uh, relatives die, young, younger than me, older than me. It's hard to think about. I remember being at a funeral one time for a girl who was my age, and she had died in a car wreck. I remember having this strange, like, thought of just sitting back there at the funeral, and I was with two of my friends from the church, and I remember thinking, knowing that she was a believer, and I know this might sound kind of weird, but I, I do remember thinking, good for her. Because shouldn't it be good? Right? This life is so short that the next life will make it seem like we barely had an appetizer. It'll make it seem like we barely looked at the restaurant. And what we need to be gripped by is the fact that at one point, in a point we cannot control, at one point we will die, and that's it. Judgment is settled. That's why I think this is actually one of the most loving things you can do. I heard the story one time where an unbeliever who was friends with a believer, he said, hey, you're a believer, you believe what the Bible says. The other person said, yeah, I do. And then the unbeliever said, well, if you really believe in hell, why have you not told me? Honestly, I think this is actually one thing that's very interesting about children uh, some of you parents know the moment, the first moment you, you teach your child about death, sometimes it's kind of weird and you're like, they just start pointing out every dead thing. But there is actually something very interesting that happens with a lot of kids that when they learn about death and uh, heaven for the first time, they just talk about it like it's the most normal thing. Because it is. 
It is. It's very actually strange of us who have grown up to try to deny it and ignore it. And what Paul is telling us here is that the moment that we die, it is either heaven or hell, and it's not changing. There's no more response to Christ after that. And what's beautiful about this is that whenever the Christian dies, and I'll talk about this more in a second, but whenever the Christian dies, death is now like the wardrobe going into the land of Narnia. It's a doorway into glory. But death is a doorway elsewhere. Hell for the un- or death for the unbeliever is a doorway elsewhere. That's why Paul actually very shortly after this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 Verse 2, he will say, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's actually why historically old preachers used to say, Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Don't do this whole thing where you say, Well, let me just live my life in college right now and get a lot of joy, and then later on when I get married and have kids, I'll get my life together. Don't do that. You don't know if you'll see that day. Don't put it off because the longer you live in sin, the more your heart gets hardened. Today is the day of salvation. From youth to the most elderly, whoever you might be. Isn't it, isn't it actually, when we realize that's the reality, isn't it crazy to think that this sounds crazy? I know that sounds like inception. You're like, what did he say? Um, as a matter of fact, in very affluent places, this is what tends to happen. But this is not the case for Christians in many parts of the world. That's why Paul says in verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. That's why, dear believer, make it your aim to please Him now. Here's what this does not mean. It does not, definitively not, mean this. Do not try to earn salvation. Don't you dare try to do that. Don't try to earn your salvation. Don't even try to keep your salvation by your good works. Christ is enough, period. Paul makes this very clear in Galatians 2 verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but rather through faith. Just just faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I don't know if Paul was clear enough for us there. You cannot be saved by your works. And we know from elsewhere in Scripture, you cannot keep or secure your salvation by your works. It is Christ and Him sufficiently. But that life, that Savior changes you. You are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves you does not remain alone. Because the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to where we want to please God. And He enables us to please God. Have you thought about the grace of this? God, by just pure sovereign grace, wants you to be an ingredient somehow in his happiness, even though he doesn't need you? 
The moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, heaven's doors are immediately open for you. You are ready for heaven. Even if you died a split second later, there would be nothing else you need any more than anyone else. All you need is Christ. Heaven's doors are wide open for you. It just might be 80 years till you walk through those doors. But you need nothing else but Christ. Amen? And because God is pleased with us in Christ, we can live a life pleasing to him. Kevin DeYoung has a very great book called Impossible Christianity, which is how we tend to think about Christianity. And I'm going to read this extended quote. It's really helpful. He says, Many Christians have resigned themselves to the fact that they will be failures as followers of Jesus. Forgiven? Yes. Justified? Yes. On their way to heaven? Yes. But as disciples and Christians, nothing special. We won't perfectly keep the Ten Commandments. We will not fully live out the Sermon on the Mount. We'll never pray enough. We'll never give enough. We'll never share our faith enough. We won't renew our city. We won't repair all the ails, all that ails our nation. We won't change the world. But, he says, what we have to remember is that ordinary Christians and ordinary churches can be faithful, fruitful, and pleasing to God. Amen? Don't fall into the lie of thinking, if we were in New York City or L.A. or Dallas or wherever we would be, if we just had a lot of prominence, then we would do something. Do you all know that God is thrilled that this church is here? He is thrilled to have his people here. He is pleased when you are learning to repent. No, you're not perfect. He's not looking at you to be perfect in this life. That's the life to come. But as you genuinely walk with the Lord, he is thrilled. That does not mean at all that we ignore sin, but we understand that God really is delighted. Listen to Zephaniah 3 verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You know what this sounds like to me? It sounds like when a dad loves to embarrass his children in front of their friends. He is not at all ashamed to call you, no matter what your sin might be, He is not ashamed to call you his child. Amen? That's why you can live a life to please him. He enables you to. You can't earn that. You live in light of it. And as the Holy Spirit enables you, you can please God. Isn't that good news? We can't forfeit his love. He's not... He's not sitting there and constantly evaluating us. He's, he sees Christ. And actually, the more we get that, the more we actually live in holiness and he's pleased. That's what Paul says in verse 6. Have courage. Death, it, death, death is coming. But Christians, we have courage because Christ has done everything for us. 
We have courage in the face of death. We have courage in the face of the world. We'll live a godly life because we have nothing to lose because Christ has done everything. Amen? That's why Paul says we live by faith, not by sight. Too often, we think that this world is, that all creation is limited to what our five senses tell us. This is actually something that's really plagued people in the Western world ever since the Enlightenment. That we live by sight. That this life, we're like the Corinthians. This is all that there is. What tends to happen is that we treat things as far more important than actually pursuing the Lord. Whatever's material, money, relationships, sexual gratification, physical satisfaction. Maybe it's alcohol, food, drugs, comfort, whatever it might be. An earthly legacy. And that's often why we pay so little attention to our souls and we treat it like it's an elective class that we just have to get over so that we can graduate. We treat grace. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the grace that's in the gospel. We treat grace like it's really not that big of a deal when it is the fundamental reality of our whole existence. why we often just keep ourselves so busy and we leave no time at all or the most small amounts of time for private worship and we forsake often the normal rhythms of public worship and the church gatherings that have been considered very normal and regular for any Christians throughout the centuries of the church and it's one of the biggest predicaments that we have with modern technology. This is always, for sure, it's always been a problem just with whatever technology there's been, but how often today do we run to our phones or our TVs most when we're bored? Or when we're sad? Or when we're anxious? Or whenever we're ashamed? Or whenever we know we're guilty? Because you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to ignore death John Newton was at his table one day and he had mentioned how another woman in their community I guess had died and there's another younger lady who was sitting across the table from him and she immediately asked John Newton she said how did this how did this other lady how did she die and Newton replied there's a more uh, important question than that, my dear, which you should have asked first. Sir, she said, what question can be more important than how did she die? Newton's answer was, how did she live? What will happen when you die? That question is answered by how you live. And to repeat again what I said earlier, that does not mean by any shape or form that somehow because you live good enough that then you're saved. Definitively no. But it's the fact that as you live in this life, do you believe in Christ? That's it. That's how you can know for sure where your soul will be the moment you die. Is did you believe 
in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. All people will die. That's the hard truth. But what happens when believers die? Look at verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul says elsewhere in Philippians 1.21, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why does he say that? He says this, to be with Christ is far better. Now we know in, in that text in Philippians 1, he still says, but it's good for me to remain with you because I want you to know Christ. That's why whenever you become a believer, you're not immediately taken up into heaven. God has given you however much time left so that you can live it for your brothers and sisters. But it is true that to be with Christ is better. Amen? That the moment you die, the very split second when you close your eyes in this life or when that light fades out, it is growing brighter in heaven. Jesus meant it when he told the thief on the cross. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen? It is so sure and it is so immediate that you could almost picture it as if this. That as you are in those last moments of dying, you are coming more alive in heaven. Because of union with Jesus Christ, Paul says in Colossians 3, that we're already seated with Christ in heaven. So as soon as you die, there is no pause. It is immediately, fully, in his presence, in glory. Amen? One person says that what happens for the believer as soon as they die is they enter into true, full victory over all separation from God. It's the, the moment we enter into that glory, we behold the face of God in light and glory. The moment we, our souls are present with the Lord, there is just this massive intensification of our intellect and our will in such a way where you will think you've almost never known the Lord before. There is such a, an elevation of your, the faculties of your soul that you will see God in all of His glory. That there's going to be a conscious reality that you are with God. Amen? You're with Him. He's with you. There won't be anything anymore that will say, I wish I could be closer you will be with him. When we enter into glory, we will be glorified. In other words, we will be made sinless. No more haunting thoughts about your past sins. No more just horrible wrestlings with whatever temptations you face. 
No more worry over how you could possibly sin in the future. You will be absolutely glorified, absolutely perfected, and you will only be able to delight in the Lord with no possibility of sinning. Amen? There will be direct communion with God. Paul says we will be at home with, with the Lord. We'll be received into the highest heavens. And then this place before the great resurrection day, it will also be communal, meaning this. You will be with other believers who have already gone there. Can you imagine? Maybe those of you who have been very dear and precious who have already gone ahead. Or maybe in your holy curiosity, you're thinking, what might it be like to be in heaven with Samson? Once again, I think children are more spot on than we are because when they say that and think about that, they talk about it as if it's the most normal thing. Because it is. The reality of being with Christ and his people. The soul will be there and We'll be existing like we've never before existed. We'll have a, the liveliness of life like there's never been. However, it, I don't know, however it works where before we get the, the resurrected body, we will somehow, people say, we'll see. I don't know, how, how do you see without physical, I don't know. <laughs> but there will be nothing, the moment you die, there will be nothing that will say, I still feel so weak. You will still look forward to that great glorified body to come. And we'll get there in a second. But I cannot stress to you how glorious and how beautiful and how satisfying it will be the moment you enter into glory. And you will not feel like you lost anything. That's what's so scandalous about God's grace. You realize the audacity of this, right? That anybody can come into these, this is a normal building. Anybody can come in here. And literally, no matter what they've done, maybe even this very morning, and they can simply believe in Jesus Christ and heaven's doors open up for them. I think actually some of us should be scandalized by that because we too often try to put barriers and hoops and hurdles before them saying, you need to go and do X, Y, and Z, and then... My friends, Jesus Christ is sufficient or he's not. And that's the gospel of grace you can believe, right? That's the gospel of grace you can tell someone. But in this life right now, we groan. That's what Paul says. You saw it twice there in verse 2 and verse 4. In this tent, we groan. Sometimes those groanings are when we face illness Various just longings we have, desires we have. We want, we want to see peace. We want to see justice. We want to see love. We want to, see, we want to have security. We want to have acceptance and satisfaction and beauty. These longings can, can grow in a certain intensity in this life. And what if this? What if actually there is... 
less wrong with your mental health because you feel this way and more right about your mental health because you feel this way? What if actually one of the big ingredients that can be happening in these times is that you're experiencing the groanings that are not comfortable, but God is actually allowing you to have because he wants you to grip heaven more than earth. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that this, you know, we, we must deal with areas in mental health and those things. Don't, don't hear me say that somehow that doesn't matter. Just think about heaven. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that as we counsel people in those situations, we do need to be reminded that what we long for most is heaven. And what we long for most is the peace that we can never get totally here and it's waiting for us there. What Paul says is that this, what we call the intermediate state, the moment we die, body and soul separate, soul goes immediately into heaven. It's called the intermediate state. What Paul is not saying is that the body is bad. He's not saying that because he literally in the same context will say we're waiting to be more fully clothed with a resurrected body. It's not like what ancient Gnosticism or even current transgenderism say where it's just the body is bad and my soul is something different. That's, that's not what scripture believes. As glorious as this intermediate state will be, it's not the final state. The body will be resurrected, amen? That body that you have will be glorified and resurrected. That very tangible body will now no longer have any defects. No longer any out-of-sync emotions. No longer any weaknesses. No longer any flaws. That very body will be raised to glory. Amen? And you will never have felt more alive than on that very last day after the intermediate state when God raises us all up to resurrected life. You realize that in that state, we will know each other like never before. And it will be the most glorious, physical, tangible, spiritual life that you can't even wrap your, your mind around right now. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm truly stretching for words to do anything I can to try to unpack any of this. Even I'm, I'm struggling to understand how glorious this will be because it is. That all parts of the curse that has happened to you will be reversed and on that very last day, when Christ judges all people, body and soul will be reunited. Imagine what that will be like when you see William Tyndale, who was killed by being burned. And somehow in God's supernatural power, he will be able to gather those particles throughout all creation and renew that body. Amen? Do you not have a heavenly homesickness for this? Can you imagine what this life will be like? 
I love what Thomas Watson says. How, do, how, how can we even get this? Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said this. He may look on death with joy who can also look on forgiveness with faith. How do you get this? Just by faith. Just by believing who Christ is. It is so unbelievably free, Costco can't even make it more free. Just samples everywhere. It, 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 the, the book table out there, that I'm just, you know, free books, you know. And it's, it's, it is that commercial where it says free, 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 free. Because it is. But at the same time, you're never going to receive it unless you're born again. You're never going to receive it unless the Holy Spirit does a miracle in your heart. And praise God, he does, right? He doesn't wait for you to get better, because you never would. He doesn't wait till you prove yourself, because you never would. He just sovereignly comes to you in abundant mercy. And he says, here. And he gives you the faith to believe. And the moment that happens, heaven's doors are opened up and just waiting for you. With your Savior right through that veil, the moment you get there ready to embrace you. Is that what you want? All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father... It's hard to talk about heaven because what, what, what language do we have to describe anything that comes close to the beauties and realities of what it is? But it is so utterly real. And Father, I'm asking, I'm longing for these people to believe in your Son so that they might receive it. And I'm longing for these people, for all of us to go forth out of these walls to go and proclaim that simple gospel to other people so that they might receive it. Only you can do that. So Father, we're asking that by your grace, you would enable us to have faith and to believe and to respond. And we ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. Let's stand and sing our final song.